later, if you like, and uh, follow along the text there. And all of the messages are online as well. And uh, so you can log in the church, uh, church Wi-Fi uh, uh, password is Emmanuel, spelled with an E. And you can track with a message there if you'd like. I'm in John chapter 13 this morning, starting at verse 12, going down through verse 20. Jesus has just washed the disciples' feet in the upper room there on the night in which he was betrayed. So when he had washed their feet, verse 12, and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is the one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. I do not speak of all of you. I know the ones I have chosen, but it is that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. From now on, I'm telling you before it comes to pass so that when it does occur, you may believe that I am he or literally that I am. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. Robert Service begins his well-known poem, The Cremation of Sam McGee, with the line, There are strange things done in the midnight sun by the men who moil for gold, it's a great poem. If you've never read it, you've got to read it sometime. But if I could take off on that first line, I would modify it and say, uh, there are strange things done under the sun by the men who claim to be Christians. And one of the very strangest, I think, is the story of Simeon the Stylite. Have you ever heard of Simeon? He was born about 390 A.D., lived in monasteries in northern Syria for a while, and then around 423, he got the brilliant idea that he would live on top of a platform on top of a pillar. And so he began to dwell up on top of that pillar and gradually, you know, improvements over time, he raised the height of it till it was over 60 feet, which is higher than this room, over 60 feet off the ground and he lived on that pillar continuously as an ascetic for 36 years until his death. Don't ask me how he dealt with bodily needs, okay? I'm reasonably certain there was no modern plumbing up there, so I'm not quite sure how he took care of the basics of life. But somehow he thought that he was being holy by living up there all by himself. And people would flock from miles around, and he would preach from the top of his pillar to all of these, these people. 
In fact, his example launched a movement of pillar dwellers. And so for centuries, there were a number of people living on top of their own pillars as an example, supposedly, of holiness. Very strange. But you know, you think about it, maybe Simeon was onto something, because think of how much conflict in the local church would be avoided if we all would just get our own pillars and dwell out of shouting distance from one another, no internet, no no phone connections. I mean, instant solution to all the, the squabbles that people get into in a local church, right? Well, I'm being facetious, of course. I don't know how such a bizarre idea as dwelling on pillars ever caught hold, not just once, but for centuries in the Christian world. And yet, you know, while we're not all living on top of our own respective pillars, my observation is that as American Christians, I can't speak for other nations, but American Christians were often isolated and independent. Uh, We view the Christian life as each of us has our own relationship with Christ, and that's that's vital. You can't have a relationship with God corporately if you don't have one individually. But then we kind of view the Christian life in this independent, isolated way. We often attend church much like we would go to the movies. You walk in, you nod to some folks you might recognize, You sit down, you watch the show on the stage, and you go home with very, very little contact with the others who have been to the same program. And often, people in the church, except on a very superficial level, have no contact with other believers throughout the week. It is not an unusual experience for me to counsel with someone And after I've listened to what their problems are and interacted with them, I'll ask the question, uh, do you have another brother, if it's a man, or sister, if it's a woman, in, in the church that you know well enough you could share what you've shared with me and you could meet often with this person for prayer and support? And after a pause, the answer very often is, no, I don't know anyone. Just isolated all by themselves. Now, if we're not close to one another relationally, we cannot begin to obey what Jesus commands us to do in our text. Notice what he commands in verses 14 and 15. If I then, the Lord and teacher, washed your feet, here's the command, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I gave you an example that you should also do as I did to you. Now, if you've ever washed someone's feet, you know that you've got to be in pretty close contact to do that, right? But right away, my thought is, uh, you know, foot washing is something I can do pretty well by myself, thank you. In fact, I would rather do it myself, you know, especially if my feet get all sweaty and dirty and smelly. Uh, It's just kind of a personal thing. I'd rather take care of foot washing by myself. And to be perfectly honest, I would rather that you washed your own dirty feet too by yourself. If need be, I can provide the basin and the water and the towel and then let you do it. But I would rather not be so uncomfortably close to have to wash your smelly, dirty 
feet. But that's not what Jesus said. He didn't say, okay, all of you provide the basin and the water and the towel for one another so you can all wash your own feet. He said, you've got to wash one another's feet. And that's asking most of us independent, isolated American Christians to just get a little closer than we're comfortable getting, isn't it? Have you ever talked to somebody, sometimes it's a person from another culture, and their distance for communication is closer than you're comfortable with? They're right there in your face, and you kind of, you know, step back, and they step toward you, and, you know, you can walk all the way down the hallway with that kind of conversation, because it's just a little uncomfortable. You know, you just want to say, stand over there, you know, give me my distance, But Jesus here says we got to get close enough to really wash one another's feet. Down in verse 35, Jesus is going to say this. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples. Not by your living, sanctified, holy, separate lives on top of your individual pillars. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples, he says, that you love one another. And I'm going to suggest that washing one another's feet is a prelude to that commandment. It's a it's an outward picture of <clears throat> what Jesus wants his disciples to do in showing love to one another. And so this is a text that's all about relationships with our fellow believers. That that's the the setting of it. And the main idea is very simple. Jesus commands us all to wash one another's feet. But that raises a bunch of questions. First of all, what does that mean? What what does it mean to wash one another's feet? And secondly, how do we do it? And thirdly, why should we do it? So I want to answer those questions this morning. First of all, what does it mean to wash one another's feet? And as you're probably aware, uh, there are some churches that take the command literally and they have a foot-washing service every so often, much as we have a communion service or a baptism service. Um, One thing you can be sure of, whenever they have a foot-washing service, nobody really needs to have their feet washed. Okay? Nobody comes with dirty feet to a foot-washing service. You can guarantee that right before the service, everyone goes in the bathroom, makes sure that their feet are clean, they put on clean socks, and then they go to the foot washing service. And so it's kind of a formality, you know? It's just kind of an outward thing. But no one there is washing dirty feet. Everyone is washing clean feet that don't need to be washed. And I suppose there's nothing wrong with that kind of ceremony if you want to have it, but I do not believe that's what Jesus was commanding here. Uh, In verse 12, he asks his disciples, do you know what I have done to you? And they all would have said, yeah, you just washed our feet. That's not the point. His point is there is a deeper symbolic meaning to what I have just done to you. And he's going to go on to explain what it is. If it was supposed to be a church ordinance, uh, I realize it's an argument from silence, but you would think that somewhere in the New Testament there would be a command, church, When you gather, do this in remembrance of Jesus, as is commanded with the Lord's Supper. But it's nowhere. There is one reference in 1 Timothy 5.10. Paul commends widows 
who have washed the saints' feet, but he's talking there about widows who have been hospitable. Uh, They have shown hospitality in that culture. That was one way of doing it. Uh, They had served one another. Peter, who was here, he is silent on this in his letters, but in 1 Peter 5, he does command us, clothe yourselves with humility one toward another. And I think that's the gist of what, again, Jesus is saying to do, to serve one another in a humble way. So first of all, in answering the question, what does it mean to wash our feet? I would say washing one another's feet is a ministry that consists of four things. Forgiveness, cleansing, refreshment, and humble service. First of all, it's a ministry of forgiveness because as we saw last time, uh, Jesus pictured this as... Uh, the relational forgiveness that exists between us and the Lord. He said, you're clean all over, but you need to have your feet washed. And as I pointed out, when we trust in Christ, we are cleansed once and for all of our sins. But we walk in this world, we do stumble, we sin. And so we need to have cleansing from the Lord, not to secure our position with him. That's secured by faith in Christ, but rather to uh, restore our relationship with the Father when we have sinned against him. Then applied to us, Ephesians 4.32 commands, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. And so it means that we are to extend to one another the same forgiveness we have experienced from our Heavenly Father when others wrong us. And I believe that's one symbolic meaning of what it means to wash one another's feet. It really makes me sad, and it's happened repeatedly, when I see believers have a falling out with one another and there's no forgiveness. Often, one or the other party just leaves the church and goes somewhere else. To avoid that person. But if you do that, bitterness sets in, and bitterness just is a poison to your soul. Um, Now, granted, I don't believe you're supposed to go to the person and say, I forgive you until they ask forgiveness. Uh, That kind of is one upsmanship. But you are to forgive them in your heart so that the minute they come, you just rejoice and say, Brother, I was just. I was just praying that we would be reconciled. Thank you. I forgive you. You're ready to forgive because in your heart, you know you've received a ton of forgiveness from the Lord and you have to extend an ounce of forgiveness to your brother or sister in Christ. And so when you do that, you wash his feet. A second thing that washing one another's feet is it's a ministry of cleansing In Ephesians 5.26, Paul mentions how Christ uh, cleanses the church by the washing of water with the word. And when you share the word with another person, it's like you wash their feet. You wash off the sin and the crud that picks up from walking in this world. And uh, it sometimes is a matter of a brother's fallen into sin. In Galatians 6.1, Paul says, Brother... Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, 
You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, looking to yourself, lest you too be, or so that you too will not be tempted. And one of the most effective ways to restore a sinning brother or sister in Christ is just to share the word, to bring them back to God's word so that they can get right with the Lord. At other times, as I pointed out last week, it's not that a person has sinned, but they just walk in this world. And when we walk in this world, our feet get dirty. It's just kind of the, the grime, the crud of this world kind of weighs down on your soul And if you'll share a verse that maybe God brought to you in your quiet time that day, or you share a verse that God's put on your heart that you're working at memorizing with a brother or sister, it just kind of lifts them. It encourages them. It washes off the, the grime of this world. Now, there's a caution, though. When you wash someone's feet, make sure the temperature of the water is right, okay? Because sometimes believers love to wash a brother's feet in boiling water, you know? Here, brother, you know, let me just wash your feet. Ah! You know, you're scalding his feet with this verse that just bombs him. And uh, Paul says, restore in a spirit of gentleness. And, you know, I can't find any verses in the New Testament that command us to blast one another It's always with gentleness we are to restore in in the truth, of course. But um, make the brother feel cleansed. And that leads to the third thing. Washing one another's feet is a ministry of forgiveness. It's a ministry of cleansing, but it's also a ministry of refreshment. Um, When you came off the dusty roads over there in uh, Israel and your feet were dirty, I'm sure it just felt good to get your feet washed. We've all had that experience, maybe you're working out in the yard in, in flip-flops or something and your feet are really dirty and you come in and it just feels great to get the crud washed off. In 1 Corinthians, Paul mentions three men who had come to him from the Corinthian church and he says this about them in 1 Corinthians 16, 18. He says, for they have refreshed my spirit and yours. They were refreshing men to be around and Paul says the same thing of Philemon. He says, the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Have you ever known somebody like that? They're they're always fresh with the Lord, and you get around them, and you come away, and you just feel refreshed in your walk with the Lord. I used to have a pastor friend like that. I had him speak at a men's retreat here years ago, but he's with the Lord now. He was a, a pastor who had met Christ when he was 41 years old. He was doing nightclub entertainment. He was using drugs, and he was an alcoholic, and he met Christ and uh, went on to be a pastor. And every time I was with him, he was just rejoicing in some new truth he had learned in God's Word, or he was just rejoicing in some fresh experience of God's grace. And you couldn't be with him very long, but you came away and just went... Yeah, boy, it's great to be a Christian, isn't it? Uh, He was a refreshing brother. Now, here's the convicting part. Is that you? What about at home? That's the test, isn't it? It's easy to put it on at church. But what about every day? Does your family just feel refreshed? Because you're there encouraging. 
showing the freshness of what it means to walk with Jesus. So it's a ministry washing of feet, a ministry of forgiveness, of cleansing, of refreshment. And then finally, and I touched on this last week as well, but it's also a ministry of humble service in ways that may be unpleasant to you. As I said, having a foot washing ceremony where you go and wash already clean feet is uh, relatively easy, but that's not what Jesus was doing here. He was washing dirty, smelly feet. And that's not always such a pleasant task. But I think what he meant was we should perform the unpleasant tasks that serve others in their area of need. And uh, that means, as I explained last week too, no task should be beneath us as we serve the Lord and the Lord's people. I read a story years ago about a man who went to hear Dr. Ellen Redpath and I got to hear Dr. Redpath once in my life. He was an older, much older than I, gentleman. He was the pastor of uh, Moody Church in Chicago for years, huge, well-known church. He was a well-known Christian author. I have many of his books on my shelf and and, a speaker. This man who went to hear him didn't know what he looked like. This was in pre-internet days. And uh, so he got to the meeting a little early, and he noticed two men setting up chairs Uh, One of them was the janitor, and he didn't realize until Dr. Redpath got up to speak that the other man setting up chairs was Dr. Redpath. He had just quietly gotten there before the service and was helping the janitor with the task of getting the, the meeting room ready. And he wasn't advertising it. In fact, if this guy hadn't shown up early, he wouldn't have known that he had done that. But it was a great example, again, of just how we are to look for needs. Maybe they're not in line with your gift, so what? Do them, help out, be a servant to the body of Christ. That's the idea. Let me mention a couple of practical ways this can happen here at FCF. One of them is, after every service, there's some litter left in the sanctuary. Cups, bulletins, so on. Pick them up and throw them in the trash. You say, well, doesn't the custodian do that? Yeah, he works at that. He works hard. But you know what? There's more than he can take care of. And let me tell you how this can minister. A visitor comes to our church, never been here before, walks in, sees trash on the floor, says, this place is a dump. I'm not coming back here, and goes out. You could have ministered to that person by just picking it up, throwing it in the trash. Same thing in the bathroom. If you see somebody miss the the trash can with the paper towel, pick it up, throw it in the trash can, and make the place look neat. You know, that's just a simple way you can serve the body of Christ. Or another way, if you're healthy and you don't have to drop off a ton of stuff, you can take a parking place that's a block away and leave the closer in for a visitor or somebody that is more infirm and needs it. Think of how you can serve in ways that may not be real uh, evident up front, but there are ways that build the body, that help, that anybody can do. Humble service. Well, I'm already answering the second question, but I want to address a couple other aspects. And that is, how 
do we wash one another's feet? How do we wash one another's feet? Well, we do it by being humble servants of Christ and by being in close relationships with others. And the first, I'm focusing there not so much on the service, but the part of Christ. In other words, I'm focusing on our uh, focus and our motivation. And the second one we'll look at is dealing with our relationships with one another. So first of all, we wash one another's feet by being humble servants of Christ. Notice verse 16 again. Jesus says, truly, truly, whenever he says that, he means perk up, pay attention, this is important. A slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. Now, clearly in that verse, Jesus is the master. In verse 13, he says, he's the Lord and the teacher. We're the slaves. In other words, Christ gives the commands. We are to obey Christ and do it as unto him. And no task was beneath the slave's dignity to do. The master would tell the slave, do something. And the slave did it. Jesus explains that further in Luke 17, verses 7 through 10. He says, which of you, having a slave plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come immediately and sit down to eat? But will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat and properly clothe yourself and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you may eat and drink? He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? And then Jesus gives this application. So you too, when you do all the things that are commanded you, you say, we are unworthy slaves. We've only done that which we ought to have done. And so here in verse 17, Jesus goes on and says, if you know these things, You're blessed if you do them. Not enough to know them. You got to do them. And these things refers back to the example and the commandment of washing one another's feet. That's what he's talking about here. He means we are to humbly serve one another in ways that may be unpleasant to us. Not for the person first and foremost, but for Jesus. He's the Lord and he's the master. And that means you don't do it while you grumble under your breath. You know, attitude is key. You do it cheerfully as unto the Lord. Why? Because he's the Lord and he bought you with his blood and you're his servant. And you love him because he first loved you. And so it's all about your mindset and about your motivation. And that means, too, you aren't doing it looking for a favorable response from the person you're serving. So often our service devolves into that, doesn't it? You know, I served that person and he didn't even thank me. And we get our feelings hurt. Uh, Jesus, you'll notice, washed Judas's feet. And Judas promptly went out and betrayed Jesus. And he washed Peter's feet. And Peter, later that night, denied that he knew Jesus three times. And he washed Thomas's feet. And Thomas doubted the resurrection for a week until he saw the risen Christ. 
And he washed all the disciples' feet, and they all abandoned him in fear in the garden when he was arrested. And the point is, you wash someone's feet, not for the strokes they're going to give you back and the accolades and the, the gratitude and all of that. You do it for the Lord. And I can guarantee you, if you get involved in serving the Lord, I don't care what you're doing, teaching Sunday school or helping around with the grounds at the church or helping in the nursery or you name the service that you do, you will not get the appreciation you deserve all the time. You'll get some. Some people will notice and say, thank you. I really appreciate the way you took care of my baby while I was in the service and changed his diapers and You just did a ministry. Thank you. Sometimes you get that, and that's, yay. But then sometimes, you know, well, where's this diaper bag? You know, and you're going, man, you know, I've been in here changing dirty diapers and putting up with this, and that's the thanks I get. And you will not get the thanks that you deserve. It's just going to happen. In fact, you'll get some undeserved criticism, And it won't come from people outside. They could care less about what goes on in the church. It always comes from the saints. They'll snipe at you for something or other in your ministry. And again, focus is crucial here. Lord, I'm doing it for you. I'm doing it for you. And uh, it's because he did it for me. So the first thing then about how we do it is we do it as humble servants of Christ. And then secondly, the way we do it, the how, we wash one another's feet by being in close relationships with one another. Because as I mentioned, you can't foot wash from a distance. You know, here, let me get a robot to go over and wash your feet. Uh, That might be cool, but it's not what's talked about here. We're talking about hands-on contact. And uh, so you can't sit on your pillar and wash somebody's feet on another pillar. you got to both come down off the pillar and get close enough. And sometimes that's a bit uncomfortable. Sometimes you have to be pretty vulnerable and honest, don't you? Because to let somebody wash your feet means they're going to tell that my feet aren't that clean. See, again, we're not talking a foot washing service where you get all tidied up before you go. We're talking about real nitty-gritty, dirty feet that get washed. And what I'm saying is it's easy to come to church and smile and you put on a good front, you go home, and nobody there knows that you got dirty feet. Now, I'm not saying you just share all your problems with everybody. No, there needs to be discretion. And you have to have a relationship of trust with someone before you share your heart and where you're struggling. But that's what I'm saying is we need to be developing those close brother-to-brother, sister-to-sister relationships where somebody knows you pretty well and you know him or her pretty well. And when you're hurting, they kind of sense it. You know, your feet are dirty, aren't they? How can I minister to you? That's how the Lord designed the body to work. And so I would really encourage you to get involved with a home fellowship or a small group or Come to the men's or the women's ministry meetings or whatever. Ask God, maybe just one-on-one for a godly brother, a godly sister, if you're a woman, who, who you can begin to draw close to, begin to share 
your struggles with where you can wash one another's feet. And then once you've gotten close to someone, you still got to do it. Because in verse 17, Jesus says, you're not just blessed by knowing all this. You're blessed by doing it, by doing it, by actually washing their feet. In other words, sometimes you get to know someone and they share how they're hurting and you feel awkward and you think, I don't know what to say. And you just say, well, I'll pray for you and bye. And, and you distance yourself from them. You've just missed the opportunity to minister. And if you don't know how, you can just say that. Man, I'll be honest. I don't know how to help you except to pray with you. And uh, let, let, let's seek the Lord together on this. And sometimes that's all a person needs is a brother or sister there to say, well, I'm with you. I'm standing with you in it. And let's pray together and let's seek God's word together and see how the Lord works. And you do it gently, not with boiling water, as I said, but you got to do it and draw near. And you don't judge or condemn because you got dirty feet too. We all do. And we need one another to help wash one another's feet. It's the genuine encouragement, the help, the refreshment that Jesus is talking about. And it comes through the word of God. So in answer to the question, what does washing one another's feet mean? Well, it's a ministry of forgiveness, a ministry of cleansing, of refreshment, of humble service. And we do it by serving Christ as his humble servants and by being in close relationships with one another. And then a final question, well, why should we wash one another's feet? And the answer is clearly we should wash one another's feet because the Lord and the teacher has washed our feet. That's what he says in verse 14. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. In other words, because Jesus has cleansed your sins by his death on the cross, and because Jesus is Lord of all, and because he is your teacher and he instructed you to do this, Uh, You serve others in love because he commanded you to do so, or to say it in a shorter way, because he saved you, you serve him. That's what he's talking about. I washed your feet, go and do likewise, and you're his slave. Now, at the end of the text here, Jesus makes a startling exception from his commandment. Verse 18, I do not speak of all of you. I know the ones I have chosen. But it is that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. That's a quote from Psalm 41.9. In the psalm, it refers to Ahithophel, David's counselor. But here, Christ applies it to Judas, who is about to betray him. And although Jesus had chosen Judas knowingly as an apostle, knowing what he would do, Judas had never submitted to Jesus as Savior and Lord. And we'll look more at Judas next week because the text does. It's an amazing thing, though, that you could see Jesus do his miracles for three years. You could be with him in the most intimate settings and hear his teaching for three years. You could know that he was true. He was not a fake. You could go out and you could preach to others because Jesus had sent the 12 out on a preaching mission and even given them power over demons and and authority to do miracles. 
Judas did all of that. And yet, and even Jesus had washed his feet outwardly, but Jesus said up in verse 10, he wasn't clean. He wasn't clean inside because Christ had never cleansed him from his sins. And so Jesus here is giving a warning to the 12, to the 11, because when Judas defected, it really could have shaken their faith. Wow, you know, did Jesus make a mistake in choosing Judas? What's going on? How could could he have done this? And so Jesus warns them in verse 19 and 20, and he encourages them. He says, from now on, I'm telling you before it comes to pass, so that when it does occur, you may believe that I am, or I am he. He means that I am who I claim to be. I am the Messiah. I am the I am of the Old Testament. He adds, truly, truly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. Now, the connection between verse 19 and 20 is kind of difficult, and commentators... um, struggle with it. It seems to me, though, that verse 20 is a word of encouragement to the disciples in light of what's going to happen with Judas. In other words, Jesus is saying, don't despair when Judas betrays me and I am crucified. Just remember, I told you all this up front. I knew about it all. I am in control of the circumstances surrounding my death. And so keep on believing that I am he, I am the Lord, I am the Messiah. That's verse 19. And then verse 20, it doesn't invalidate your calling. You will be my ambassadors. And whoever receives you, when you go out after my death and resurrection, whoever receives you receives me. And remember, the one who receives me receives him who sent me, the Father. But Judas' example here is certainly a warning, and as I say, we'll look at this more next time. But the warning is this. You can be closely associated with this church. You can even serve on the elder board of this church or as a pastor of this church. And yet, you've never had Jesus cleanse you from your sins. Outwardly, yeah, everybody thinks, wow, what a great guy. What a holy Joe he is, man. Look at how he serves. But inwardly, your heart is still not right with God because you've never come to him and said, Lord God, I am a sinner and I need a savior. And I know that Jesus died to shed his blood for sinners. And Lord, I need Jesus shed blood applied to my heart. See, that's where you begin with the Lord. And until you've experienced Jesus cleansing you internally through his shed blood, you can serve him like Judas was. You can be in the apostolic band, and yet you're not right with God. It's a great tragedy. So what I'm saying is the only basis for foot washing is if Christ has not only washed your feet, but he says, you are clean. You are clean through me. I read about a successful Southern California medical doctor who gave up his lucrative practice and moved to a very primitive country to serve. 
His non-Christian medical partner in California couldn't believe that he would be doing this, but um, on one of his trips around the world, the non-Christian partner dropped in to see his former partner, and he was performing surgery on a woman in very primitive conditions that wouldn't even be allowed in the United States, and and uh, the partner watched for a while, and then the non-Christian asked and said, don't you remember how much you would have made doing that surgery in Southern California? And the doctor said, yeah, many thousands. And he said, well, then why are you doing it? And the Christian doctor said several reasons. He said, see her clenched fist. In it, there are several coins that she's going to give to our mission here. And then he nodded and said, you see those kids in the other room? They will be forever grateful if I can save their mother's life. But he said, there's one more thing. He said, I hope to receive someday from my Lord the words, well done, good and faithful servant. And so that's why you wash one another's dirty feet. You do it because the Lord and the teacher washed your feet. So you do it for him. Father, I pray that you would draw all of us to the cross if there are any here who have never come to Jesus in repentance and faith, that you would open their hearts to see the grace of the Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor so that we might be rich through him. And that they would come to the cross and receive the bounty of your grace, the riches that you pour out on every sinner who comes in faith to Jesus. And Lord, I pray that we as your children would set aside our pride and selfishness, that we would humbly serve one another in love, looking for needs that we can meet and meeting them gladly out of gratitude to you, that we would be known as a serving body here a caring church that shows the love of Christ in very practical ways. And I ask for Jesus' sake. Amen. We're going to partake of the Lord's Supper as we conclude. It is an ordinance that Jesus enjoined on us. He said that we should do this in remembrance of him.